Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on bluenile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the 269th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Ben Blair, Isaac Breeding, Working With Lemons, and our man, Anthony Ascenda. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got Courtney Lamarco on the show. He's a producer behind the hit television program, Hoarders, and also he runs a pitch competition called The Big Pitch. We talked to him about what it takes to run a successful reality show, how he kind of came to be a producer on the show in the first place, which is a surprisingly interesting story and filled with teachable moments and also some crazy circumstances. It's a wild tale. And we also talk about what it takes to both appeal to him as a producer and and what it takes to pitch him and then what it takes to take said pitch and get it ready for primetime and take it out to networks. So if you are curious about the art and craft of making unscripted reality television this is a really good conversation yeah and i think it even applies to people that are into scripted because i one of the things i found most admirable about courtney was just kind of his hustle he was kind of awesome at like kind of reaching out to the right people and just talking to them even if he didn't know them but more interestingly is he took the time to understand the pieces of a project that are needed and to put them together. So not only did he reach out to the right people, but he knew what to bring them. He understood that a show needs financing, it needs concepts, it needs talents. And he figured out how he can not just ask someone for help, but he can say, hey, this is what I can bring to the table if you can bring this. And really, he really put the puzzle pieces together in a way that we haven't heard that much on the podcast. And I thought it's like a real great lesson on how to just be proactive about, you know, creating your own success. So it's cool. And there was some fortuitous timing for him as well. But I have no doubt that in any version of events. uh, Yeah. And every timeline, I think Courtney uh, (laughs) hustles his way to the top. Yes. It's a really uh, cool, smart, inspiring story. So before we get to Courtney, though, real quick, two quick things, a little bit of housekeeping. One, if you follow us on Instagram, there's a good chance that you are going to see a post from us about black magic design. Hashtag just shoot black magic. We are giving away a ton of free stuff. So go to just shoot it pod on Instagram, follow us and keep tabs on what we are posting because you can win free stuff like cameras, color boards, resolve licenses, all sorts of cool stuff. And then also go to patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. Say thanks. Give us a couple bucks here and there. And that's a way to keep the show going and support us. Without further ado, let's talk to Courtney. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey folks, we're interrupting this incredible episode of the podcast to tell you about a new sponsor that we're working with, Front Row Insurance Brokers. One of the challenges of being a filmmaker is that there's a lot of risks that we take and we really just want to focus on making good stuff. So what if there was a company that could take those risks, manage them for us while we are being artists? That's right. Front Row Insurance Brokers arranges film production insurance to cover the risks associated with your production. They cover features, TV shows, documentaries, commercials, music videos, webisodes, basically anything you can watch on big media or phone-sized screens. Yeah, Front Row will help you focus on your artistic vision by transferring all the risks to them and minimizing your production hazards. And they cover any budget from $2,000 all the way up to $200 million. There's nothing that's too small or too big. If you are shooting in Canada, use coupon code JUSTSHOOTIT50 off for 50 bucks off your film production insurance. That's promo code JUSTSHOOTIT50 off to save 50 bucks. And if you're shooting in the U.S., that same code can be redeemed offline by mentioning it to a broker, by email, or over the phone. It's like a cool password if you're in the U.S. That's Just Shoot It 50 Off. Check them out. Let us know how it goes. So I think most people, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but most people know you from Hoarders. You produced the A&E show Hoarders. Can you tell us a little bit about how that show came about to be and how you came about to produce it? I didn't, I didn't develop the show myself. It was uh, developed by a mentor of mine, an individual by the name of um, Matt Chan. And uh, he started it back in 2009. And so I came into the show. It's a very funny story how I came in. I'll try to give you somewhat of a truncated version of it. But um, I came into the show. Basically, I had an idea for, for a television series. I found out that, you know, just like uh, real estate financing, banks will finance television shows if you have uh, a, a licensing agreement from a distributor they will they will finance it you know you can get financing it gets tax incentives and things like that too so wait ne- sorry is this for any television show or is this a 
like a specific level of budget or type of network or well what i can we dig into that a little sure when i was talking to the banks they were they wanted to finance they at least wanted to put up no minimum to two million and when you say the bank do you mean you just like walked into bank of america branch no not but there's there's specialized banks that focus on television and film and you know like traditional banks like bank of america and u.s bank they really aren't familiar with that that type of uh financial structure but there are specialized banks that will finance and that focus on television and film and cinema and so wait so this is like outside of the studio system these are just well a lot of times they will work within the studio system but you don't have to be in the studio system to work with them i mean it like i mean it's the same thing if you know you don't have to be a real estate professional to get a loan if you can get the right deal you know what i mean so yeah i found i found a particular bank that was willing to work with us through through you know some contacts that i had known and uh, ironically they weren't really in the industry themselves they were just on the they were on the financing side so they gave me a little bit of insider information regarding, yo, these banks would do this for you. So, you know, right, I, so to so, sorry to dig into. This oh, go ahead, like, please, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Been in this in well, the industry nice. for 15 years and I've never gone to a bank to try to finance one of my things. When you say finance, you mean they would give you a loan that you have to pay back or they would get equity in the show? Well, they can do it both ways. So let's look at one example, for instance, is if you have a distribution agreement and that distribution agreement is for X amount of dollars, right? A bank will give you up to 90% of what that distribution agreement is up front. Because obviously you have to deliver to the network or to the distributor before you're completely paid out. So a bank will give you that. However, when you do that, they also require you to have a completion bond. So they, they guarantee their money regardless and if you fail to do it that you know the completion bond kicks in and then they get their their money back regardless so and let's know, say let's say you want to do like a one million dollar movie let's say you, let's say you're making a hallmark film or something and it's got a, it's got Lindsay lowen or some hallmark type star um and they're like hallmark's like we'll give you a million dollars for this Lindsay lowen christmas movie and you have this letter and you take it to the bank which i guess they would give you up to nine hundred thousand dollars to make your movie how much of that, how much does the completion bond cost on something like that? I think it's around, I want to say three to 5% of the budget. Okay. And so you pay a company, it's like an insurance company that in case you never finish your project, they will pay the bank back what you owe them. Exactly. Okay. So they're kind of, the risk is eliminated a little bit, but it's probably not easy to get the completion bond. Well, the thing about it is you have to be bankable. You know, they, they want people on the project that are bankable. I think the Literally. reason why... Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the reason why I was able to do it is because everyone knows hoarders. So when they found out that that was the show, that originally was not the show, though. I had my own concept for a show. And, um, you know, so I talked to a bank and I, they said, yes, if you bring us the right paperwork and everything, we will finance. We don't want to do anything under two million because it's not really worth it for us. So, you know, I and take what my- kind of track record did you have to show them that you had? Like, had, had you produce tv unscripted tv shows before like what's what is proving to them that you're legit the numbers they didn't care about my experience they wanted to make sure the numbers were legit right and so if you deliver yeah. this tv show to this network this network is going to pay you x amount of dollars therefore you're good for that same amount right right hence the completion bond because my credibility at that point was nothing 
you know, so that's why they have, you know, bondable producers and bankable producers. If you attach a certain producer, a certain talent, yeah, they're going to throw money in because they know that those people have already done projects of X amount of dollar amount. And so they're they're considered bankable. At that time, I was not a bankable anything. I was just a guy with an idea. But on the show like Hoarders, the attachable talent must be like directors or. Well, it was the sh- it was it was the show itself. I mean, the show you can't go anywhere. And mention that show, and people, you know, they, everyone knows what that. It's iconic, about. Yeah. yeah. It's you, a very iconic show. Yeah. You, I, it, it popularized the awareness of what hoarding even is. Mm-hmm, of the mental, yeah. yeah, of the yeah. Mental. Pretty much every single person I know after that show came out is like, oh yeah, my mom's a hoarder. Yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's insane. But um, yeah, I uh, I had this paperwork from the bank and when they give you the initial paperwork it's it's basically like listen we will do this however you have to have all your ducks in a row so it's not like they're just going to hand you everything there's still a lot of work to do to get your ducks in a row which is interesting interestingly enough how i actually took over the show i i just got on linkedin and i looked up production companies in seattle and i found one and i sent uh, the president of the company a, a message saying hey i have an idea for a tv show can i come in and pitch it and they said sure come on in so, um, fast. Interesting. And did you, you didn't send them a log line or anything? Didn't, just didn't said, send them anything. Didn't did you say like, I'm a fan of your, like, or any, anything like that? No, I didn't say any. I just said, Hey, I got an idea. I'd love to come in and pitch. And they said, sure. Yeah. I thought that was very interesting. You know, hindsight, I can see why now I can explain why that happened. now. <laughs> Once I tell you more about the story, it was very, very, uh, strange situation. So I ended up going in and, and sitting down with these guys and I pitched them a concept that I don't really think they understood. It was a concept that had to do with influencers and things like that. And it was um, geared towards a younger demographic. And they had done shows like Hoarders and other shows that were geared towards an older demographic. So I don't think they really understood the onslaught of digital and influencers and social media. And this show was heavily, uh, it, it involved social media heavily, the concept did. And it involved fashion and they didn't have an experience in doing anything in fashion. So they didn't really understand my idea. And they, they kind of poo, they poo-pooed it. They're like, nah, you know, we're not feeling this. Was it called Courtney Lamarco's Drag Race? <laughs> no, that <laughs> no, wasn't what it was called. But, um, but they did say, they said, look, we don't understand your show. It's garbage. Get it out of here. <laughs> no, they didn't say that. Can, can I ask if you did you bring in a pitch reel or anything? I had a pitch deck that I put together because I, you know, I'm the type of person where if I don't know something, I'm going to get online and Google it and stay up till three or four in the morning, figure it out and then stay up till five in the morning, putting whatever I need to put together and then go in there acting like I knew everything the whole time. So, so that's kind of how yeah, I, yeah. I've operated. So you're coming in hot. You're you're pitching this thing. They're not into it. They're not into but, it at all. But. Your so is this the instance where you meet your soon-to-be mentor? Is, is, does, no, is he in this meeting? No, he wasn't even in the meeting because he technically had left the company. He was gone. He 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 started the company. He sold it to his partners. His partners were there, and he was out out the picture. But so 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 they don't get your show. The pitch doesn't go great. Nope. And then what? So they say, hey, we have another show that you could possibly bring financing to. And I, oh, I see. Yeah, right, right, because right, right. when you came in, you already had the financing. I had a letter from I had a letter from the bank saying, "Listen, we will finance up to X amount, provided you hit all these bullet points." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when I had, so, yeah. yeah, so that LinkedIn isn't just like, "Hey, I've got a good idea for a TV show." 
it was, hey, I've got a good idea for a TV show and financing lined up. And I have financing, yes, in place yeah. if yeah, we can yeah, pull yeah, this yeah. off. So that, that's so, the headline. That's important <laughs> for people to understand. I got money, guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and sorry for the chicken or the egg and the egg question, but how did you line up the financing if you didn't have a distribution deal yet? Well, I I just said, listen, guys, give me a letter of a, a letter of intent that you will or you know, you will finance this, provided I jump through all the hoops. It says, okay, we will finance this, but you have to jump through the hoops. Okay. And one of the hoops is to attach a distributor. Get the distributor attached. That was the biggest hoop. And then, you know, you've got to have the numbers got to match up. And, and oh, my goodness, it was one of the most frustrating experiences in my life. And I wanted to quit so many different times, but I didn't. So, you know, they said, look, we've got this other show that we could possibly finance. The funny thing about that, though, is they had already signed a deal with the network to do a new season. And that deal was predicated on them having additional financing in place. So it seemed like a match made in heaven. Here comes this guy out of the blue with, hey, I've got some financing in place. They already have a distribution deal on the verge of, they had a draft. I think the contract was in draft at that point. It wasn't finalized. And this is for hoarders. This was for, that that contract was for hoarders. And so I took that contract or, you know, the draft and I took it back to the bank and they said, listen, we'll definitely finance this. This is great. We would love to do business with you. So we're going to give you, I think it was like 2.1 million. It was what they agreed to, to put up. And this is for a, an entire season of the show. Yeah. That was part, that was partial funding for the seat for the sh- season. Yeah. Partial funding. Then we're going to put up all of it, uh, but they're going to, how many up- episodes are in a season? At that point, it was only five episodes because they were, A&E was doing a new thing where they were doing two our two hour episodes and uh there were five two hour episodes i believe yeah i believe so you know when a bank's going to give you millions of dollars they're going to do what anybody's going to do if they give you millions of dollars they're going to ask you to do due diligence they give you a piece of paper you have to go murder someone you got to murder someone you got to murder their family (laughs) and all their immediate relatives and And, uh, provide the paperwork (laughs) yes certificates come back with the pinky in the box um so you know these guys have to fill out all this paperwork and when it came time to do the due diligence, they said, we can't do this. Because my intent at that point was like, okay, you guys didn't like my show, but if I can get the financing, I'm going to push this deal through. I'm going to make a small commission off of it. Then I'm going to go open up a food truck or something like that. Right. Wait, so sorry, who who didn't like it? Who said we can't do this? The production company? The, or the, pr- the production company said they couldn't sign the due diligence paperwork. Come to find out that they were pretty much at the end of their rope financially and the company was falling apart however they had this draft contract for a and e and when they found out that i had the financing they went and you know executed the agreement and so they had an obligation to the network but they were also going out of business and you know i could i had the money or i had the bank willing to give up this money but i didn't have the credibility and these guys couldn't sign the paperwork so um, I just said, well, "Why don't you guys sign the, sh- the sign the show over to me, and I'll figure everything out from there." And oh, wow. and they did. So they like basically moved the project. They're like, "Okay, now Courtney's producing this thing." For so us. you know, We're here. so I had to have meetings with you know a lot of the top brass at A and E, and we had a very lengthy phone call. You know, legal was on the phone, agents involved, everybody was on the phone, and they asked me, "Hey, can you pull this show off? Can you do this?" And I said, "Sure, I can. Sure, I can." And wait, what at this point, what is your background in film? Because 
you were a second ago thinking of starting a food truck. <laughs> right? So, how, how invested were you? Did you go to film school or were you? Playing I didn't video go to like, film school. What, school what's the background? Had you made a television show? Yet? I had not made anything. Well, let me put it this way: I had an advertising agency, so I was doing you know commercials for Neiman Marcus and things oh, okay. like that. So I was I had I had experience producing advertising. Okay, so you knew production. I knew production, yeah. I've known production for a long time, but I didn't know television, the intricacies of television and the ins and outs of all that. Which is Working a with the studio. Working with studios, you know, yeah, but yeah. I didn't know any of that. So they asked okay, me... Okay, but you had confidence to, like, put together a camera crew, post, post-production, all that. That stuff didn't scare you. No, because, yeah. I mean, you know, it, I did what I think was the most logical thing. I just hired everybody that the production company let go. <laughs> I mean, they've these guys had the experience to do the show. So when we closed the deal, I said, hi, you guys, I'm I'm your new boss. Teach me everything, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's nice. great. So you that's boy, what incredible luck to walk into a situation where a company is over leveraged and then but and you have the money to just take over and run with it. And they're grateful that that's the situation. Right. That's wild, man. But I bet you it's not as rare as you think, because it's not like he walked into A&E. He walked into this production company. And as we know, like half the production companies in the world are over leveraged and about to go out of business. But you were you had you had the right ingredients, the perfect recipe in with that one. Apparently I did that day. The funny thing about it, though, is I never I never needed the financing from the bank. I never used the <laughs> I never used the bank's financing. That's what cracks me up. I never used that's it. crazy. That's great. Why is that? Because when I started looking at the process of how they were producing the show, there was just so much money being spent on things that were just not necessary. We looked at the mm-hmm. budget. Overhead. Yeah, there was yeah. just so much, you know, their office was oh, so much a month and everything everything was just so expensive for them to do. They spent X amount on casting. They just they just spent so much money on doing things. And I think it's because, you know, they were doing it in old school way. I, that's how they've always done it. And even sometimes when I was talking to some of the, the folks on the show, I'm like, why are we doing the things like this? And they said, well, that's how we've always done it. I said, you know, there's newer technologies. There's newer ways to do things. And why are we shooting super 16 millimeter? That's crazy. <laughs> like, you know, it's like we're not in the Flintstone era anymore, guys. Yeah, Come yeah. on. So and the funny thing about it was instead of renting some big, expensive studio, we ran the whole show out of WeWork. Oh, really? WeWork was around? I got a WeWork office and we set everything up. I remember one of uh, one of my writers was like, what the hell? How are we going to run a shot of WeWork? Who's going to handle all of our IT? I said, we're doing the editing on Apple computers. We don't need a complete IT department to you know cut that expense out. If that's 60 grand on IT, that's 60 grand we can put into buying computers to do the show. We don't need, you know, we can buy our own gear and and everything. So I just changed some of the processes up and, and we never even needed the bank's financing after that, which is kind of funny but it's just wait so where did the money come from a and e well a and e committed you know when you sign a contract with the network they give you money against milestones and your initial signature milestone you know when you sign you get a, a milestone payment when you start principal photography you get a milestone payment so we just we just worked with the finances that we had from a and e um i probably oof, i can't even remember how much money we just cut out of the budget we just did things a lot smarter and a lot smoother and I had, at that point in time, a little bit of my own cash reserves just in case, but we didn't really need to tap into that. So it sounds like the lesson we've learned here is find production companies on LinkedIn, <laughs> tell them you have financing, regardless of the fact that you don't. <laughs> Go in and pitch your idea, 
trying to make it not too great so that they can just give you one of their ideas. And then, uh, because you have financing and then don't use that financing. Don't thing. You actually it. never had. Don't, don't. <laughs> That's how to, how to make it in Hollywood. That's it. Or Seattle, I guess. So then, and you said there's been 12 seasons now of Hoarders? Yeah, I think we picked it up. Oh, did we pick it up at the 10th season? I think we picked it up at the 10th season. It was our first. Then, you know, we delivered. I delivered. And then Annie said, let's, let's, let's do this thing again. We did it again. And they said, let's do it again. We did it again. Nice. So are you, is it still running? Is it yeah. Still and the cool thing about it is our stuff? season, our 10th season was picked up by Netflix. And then our 11th season just went live on Netflix and was in the top 10, what, a week ago? So, oh, nice. yeah, I mean, that, that really worked out well for us. It, so every episode is named after the hoarder, right? I see the last few episodes. Meryl, Cobra, Dolores, Forrest, Eric, John, Cindy. Yep. Does this mean that you cannot cast two people with the same name? Oh, we can. <laughs> we definitely can. So then you just have two episodes with the same name? Yeah, we'll just uh, we'll just probably yeah, switch Dolores it up. Dolores E. Yeah, yeah just yeah, switch it up. Yeah. Okay, and my other dumb question is, so you said that one of the things that you saw there was a lot of money being spent on was casting, and that was something that you thought you could do for less money. In my, I've done a little bit of unscripted, a little bit of kind of reality or like kind of faux reality stuff, you know, or competition things. But in real unscripted stuff, like where you're following real people, like in a Hoarders episode, I've always thought that casting is one of the most challenging yeah, it's things. Yeah, kind of need the someone. most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and a show like yours that people know, they know that they're going to be exposed on like a deep personal emotional level. Like, how do you find the perfect person in casting that, I guess? Well, the interesting thing in, about our show is, you know, at the end of the episode, they have the number that goes up and then we have a website that everybody goes to. So there are a lot of hoarders. I, and we have a telephone number that everyone calls. I get between 10 to 20 calls a day because it goes, you know, when the calls come through, they go to everyone on our casting on our casting team and um, we get about 10 to 20 calls a day of and you know and that's including the emails that come in of people who just need help and a lot of these folks you know some people are looking at fines from the county fines from the city some of them are looking at evictions some of them are at the point where they need help they have to have help or they're going to lose their property and so you know there's a lot out there there's a lot of people out there i think we were able to reduce the cost on casting because it wasn't finding the people that was the problem. It was processing the people that the, that was the problem. You know, the way the the way the casting came in and the way they did the due diligence to do all the research on on these individuals, that just cost a lot of money because, you know, they had a lot of people doing it. And, you know, in any business where there's not close oversight, there's always going to be a lot of dicking around, you know? And so we just said, listen, let's just get straight to the core. Let's find out who's absolutely the best at this. And then the if people, if they're not on this level, we're gonna take them off the casting team and just focus on that. And so we were, we were able to save a lot of time, a lot of money, just fixing the process. Cause there's tons of people out there that are hoarding. I'm related to some of them, but there's tons of people out there everywhere that are hoarding that need help. Right. Yeah. Right. That's so but you need, you're finding the most extreme cases, like the people that have yeah, like yeah. 10,000 pep, unrecycled Pepsi. Cans oh in yeah, their yeah. Yeah. Fish tank. Sure. Listen, I'm going to recycle them eventually. Or, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, but I, it is interesting though. Like I bet early on before the show, you know, had really found its audience. 
it was probably a lot harder to you had to do more of that outreach right but like at a certain point if people are calling the phone number at the end right like that means that they're that's a self-selecting group and so the process obviously should change and iterate basically once uh once it becomes a phenomenon that's really interesting yeah it reminds me of that's actually a lot of the shows that i had worked for that we would do sort of like human interest stories or things like that it was actually mostly from audience members basically who would like yeah who who would you know just send in their story or whatever but you have to amass that audience first before you can kind of you know get that ball rolling and so it's almost like there's there's two phases of casting for a show like that you know there's like that the initial outreach and then once you built momentum it's it's like you said more about just kind of separating the uh the cream of the crop basically yep exactly and there's there's social media too so we have that you know when the show started social media wasn't what it is today so that also helps a lot yeah my last question about hoarders and i think we you know we we know the answer to this but maybe some of our listeners aren't as familiar you mentioned that you had writers on hoarders you know that they were commenting on the we work office or whatever just for people that don't understand why an unscripted show would have writers, can you just kind of tell us what kind of things they write? Well, yeah. So when we go out there and we shoot, we're just shooting a lot of ton- a lot of raw footage, right? We shoot the whole process of the, the family interviews. Within that, we have to pull the story out. So what our writers do is they find the key points with each act that we do. They find the key points to make sure we hit those certain marks in the act. What's the conflict? Be- what's the problem? What's the conflict between the family members and, and the subject of the show? And our writers will take the footage and they will do basically a, what we call a string out. Well, they'll do a really rough edit that tells the story of the person, how they got into the hoarding situation, what happened. And it also tells the story of, you know, how the family members are affected, how this person's life is affected. And as the show progresses, uh, as they're writing it, then, you know, we, we, we bring in what the doctors are br- what the doctors are bringing to the table to help these people deal with this mental illness. And then, um, you know, the resolve and the reveal at the end. It's a process that they that they put together just to make sure that the acts in the episode is cohesive. They're not writing what these people are saying or anything like that. They're basically just taking what's been recorded and making sure that it's presented in a very understandable, linear way so that the audience can go through the journey of the episode. And sometimes in, in these sorts of shows, you know, th- those people are on set and they're, you know, maybe they're a story producer or something like that. Is that the case with your team? Are they there sometimes. kind of asking questions, making sure people are thinking out loud, that sort of stuff? Is there a, a, a specific reason why it, like, do they prioritize being there for certain events or things like that? Or is it kind of the luck of the draw? What determines whether or not a person will be on, on set, quote unquote? Um, well, the cool thing about this team is they've been doing it so long together that it's almost like clockwork for them. So, you know, for instance, we may have a producer that's out that's overseeing anything. That producer knows all the key points to get and what to ask and what are the you know, what are all the trigger points and, and, and the impactful points that we need to capture. That producer would do that. And these right. I mean, they've been working with each other for 10 years. So it's almost like clockwork in how they work well with each other. We have one writer, her name is Pat. She's amazing. She can just, it's so ingrained. It's just like muscle memory for her where she can, she can just see it. 
she's looking at the footage. You know, we, once we take the footage and we dump it, she's looking at the footage and she can just pull the pieces. She doesn't even have to be on set. She can just pull the pieces out because she's been doing it for so long. So a lot of it's just experience. If, if there was a new writer to come onto the show that's never done this, this show before, it would probably be a lot more challenging. But these guys have been working with each other for a long time, so it's um, it's not nearly as, as as challenging as it would be. So just because I love to little tips and tricks and things, is are are there any tricks to extract the story from someone you might have cast that's not as talkative or not as open, um, especially when you have these kind of story producers or writers trying to tell the story of a person? I'm I'm assuming some of the people you cast are people just talking nonstop about their issues and what happened. And other people are probably a little harder to open up. Any any advice in that arena? Oh, I would say this show's a little bit different because a lot of times if people aren't opening up, the moment you start to deal with their possessions and removing things, then it changes. Then you see the struggle, then you see the, the emotions come out. And that just that's raw. You know, there's nothing you can really you can't script that you can't prepare for that sometimes we have people who just storm off and then once the family gets involved you know the family they're able to pull certain or they're able, they're able to um dig deeper into their relative situation than we are because obviously we're outsiders we're a crew coming in but when you have two family members connecting and this person's saying left and this person's saying right and they're arguing then that all just comes out naturally it's not like we really have to pull that out a lot of times what we do find, though, is people are in denial of a situation. So they will not think that they have a problem. And despite their family members and everyone telling them that there's obviously a problem going on, they will they will stay in that shell and, and not really want to see that problem. But it typically comes out in the end, you know, and resolved that there's an issue and it needs to be addressed in there. For the most part, grateful for the help. But I don't think we really run into problems where people don't come out as soon as you touch someone's you know <laughs> pile of national geographic <laughs> yeah from 1974 as soon as you touch that national geographic i'm curious about actually the the production um philosophies behind that though because certainly like once someone is emotionally engaged in what's happening right like they kind of i imagine they probably ignore the cameras when someone's about to throw away their their thing that they you know have decided is really important to them you know uh, are you are the camera operators are they communicating to one another are they trying to like or how many cameras even are there and how do you kind of like navigate trying to get a good shot versus trying to kind of you know be slightly removed from the whole thing so that you can observe properly we typically run with two to three cameras um a b and then C and then, uh, you know, a lot of times when things when they're in the heat of the moment, they don't even see the cameras being there. You know, it's it's a very emotional show, as I was saying. They don't they don't really think about the cameras because they're sitting up there looking at years and years of their life. And all these people are coming in, they're touching in and, and deep down, they know it's for the better. But there's always this resistance. I mean, we're talking about a mental illness, so they're not thinking clearly when it comes to the situation at hand. But um 
the cameras have never been a problem. We, everyone's mic, they've, they've got earpieces. So if there's something that's critical going on, one of our producers can easily get a camera positioned. And a lot of times we can anticipate because they've been doing it for so long. We can anticipate where things are going to go and kind of see when you get to a horde, you see where the trouble points are. You can see what's really affecting a particular individual. They may look at this over here and not really care about it, but these shoes don't touch the shoes because those shoes have a certain meaning. So we can kind of see, okay, this over here is going to be a real big trigger point. Make sure we focus on that so we can we can get that. But um, a lot of times the emotions are running so high, people are charged, they're swearing at each other. We have a lot of bleeps. They're swearing at each other, especially fam family members are threatening each other. It just, it gets to the point where for for a while, the cameras disappeared to them, I believe. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, so so just to transition to kind of our other topic, so you've, you obviously run a very successful unscripted show. You've pitched successfully and unsuccessfully in the past. And now you are running this new competition through your company, TLG Motion Pictures, called The Big Pitch. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Yeah. So, you know, I think the reason why I created out of The Big Pitch was it was something where I wanted to give people who are in my position before I got into television, an opportunity to come up with a great idea and actually be able to do it. People what I with did. financing and they didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> hey, I, I had I had I'm teasing you, Courtney. I'm teasing. I had a I had promissory financing, but I didn't quite have sure, the financing. Because sure. yeah, yeah. I could yeah, not the money wasn't in your pocket. It yeah. wasn't in my pocket. It was in the bank's pocket and I was just I was just a pass through. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, no, no. but you know, people I, I come from a very poor background, disadvantaged and all that, you know. And uh, I just wanted to give other individuals, especially BIPOC individuals, an opportunity to kind of get their their ideas in front of someone who could relate to their story, so to speak. So we created the big pitch. This is our second year doing it. Um, but I've got a really wonderful guy named Antonio that we're working with. He's got some incredible uh, concepts. And, you know, it's just the type of thing where, like, look, if we could kind of help some other folks, it helps us at the same time, too, because we're always looking for good ideas. We're always, always looking for other creatives. And it's kind of nice to be able to just go out and find a nice pool of creatives that we can tap into and kind of help bring their bring their uh, project to life. So it's a win win for everybody. Right. And the Antonio you're talking about is Antonio de Greffenreit, um, who won the competition this year with his pitch for a show called Culture Shock. Can you tell us I'd love to hear maybe even just like the log line of what that show is and why you chose his pitch versus other pitches like like. What makes a winning pitch, at least for the big pitch? And also what materials he came in with? Well, he had a write-up. He had a really good write-up. And he didn't have much more than that, but he had a really good write-up on the show. And I understood it. And I think the reason why we picked it, well, I know the reason why we picked this show, is because I think it's timely right now with everything that's happened over the past year, with COVID, with the presidential elections, with just so much divisiveness in the country. It's almost, what would it be like to spend a day in someone else's shoes who... I have no experience of, I have no knowledge of what their life experiences are. What would that be? What would that be like? I mean, is that the type of thing that's really going to pull us together? Or is that the type of thing that's going to push us apart even further? I think it's a conversation that needs to be had. And, you know, it's a lot more, I, I'm not into the type of shows where I'm, I'm, I'm over table flipping reality, a bunch of people sitting around arguing over so-and-so and so-and-so's husband. I don't want to do, I don't want to make that kind of TV. Also don't want to make freak show TV. I want to make, the kind of television that's actually thought provoking and it can open up some eyes. And he's Antonio's very good at, at um, coming up with those type of projects. 
And so when I looked at Culture Shock, I thought, you know, it would be interesting to take someone from Black Lives Matter and one of the Proud Boys and switch them and have them go have dinner at each other's house or something like that, just to see what that would ha- see what would happen. It'd be interesting to take someone who is, you know, a, a trans individual and have them go stay with a very uh, evangelical family <laughs> and experience. And, you know, are we going to find out at the end of this that, yeah, we are pretty much the same. We all want the same thing. You know, we want to take care of our families. We want health to live a healthy life we, we want to prosper so right mm-hmm. it's like a smart version of wife swap right? yes yeah, yes. yeah. Exactly. a cultural version of wife swap yeah yep. yeah as a matter of oh, fact uh, well, that's in the description <laughs> wife swap sure. so, yeah yeah yeah, yeah mm-hmm. no doubt um did he have casting when he came in or was it is, no was we it are in we're in the process of casting for it right now so i'm assuming if you win the big pitch it doesn't necessarily mean that a and E gives you a deal for a TV show. It's it's a development. It's right? a development it's- deal. Yes. Yeah. So what we do is we allocate funds um, to develop the show. We will handle the casting. We will handle everything. We'll, and then when it comes time to put all the materials together and take it to the networks, then we will go out and shop it out. Cool. Can you tell us like what some other people pitched? Like like things that other people did that I, I guess I, I'm trying to extract like some do's and don'ts when you're pitching shows like this. Things that didn't work, right? Yeah, without without calling out a specific idea or anything. Well, a lot like of people pitch typical things that have we've seen before. You know, a show kind of like the Kardashians, a group of these individuals who are well off, and or a cooking series that's not too different from anything that has ever been out there. There's a lot of, I see a lot of the same thing, and even when we talk to networks, they they always say, you know, everything's pretty much the same. We they've seen it over and over and over. I've never seen anything like. Like uh, what Antonio's put together. I haven't seen it broadcast. I haven't seen it on the air. But just about everything else that comes in, we've seen before, you know, and it's it's nothing that's really stands out. Your typical cooking shows, your typical reality shows that, like I said earlier, freak TV. We don't we kind of want to stay away from that. Uh, And I don't want to be typecast as the type of production company that just capitalizes off of humans who have those type of problems. We kind of want to do something a little bit more uplifting. So I would say, you know, if you're, if you want to win a competition like the big pitch or at least our competition, you definitely have to kind of, and I hate to use the term think outside the box because everyone uses that. There is no box. You have to think right. there is no box really. Think inside the triangle. Okay? <laughs> or the, the bun, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the bun is what you should. But, you know, you got to do something. And, and for me, though, what's really important is something that is timely. Something that people can see right now and say, oh, well, this is a subject matter that is important right now. We all know what happened when you know, the capital was raided and things like that. We want to see things that happen that, that have to do with what people are experiencing right here now. I think that's can really important. You- just to just to put you on the spot, what what other unscripted shows that are out today would you say are timely? Ooh, I might end up working with some of these people. Let me think. <laughs> that are timely. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I guess actually, like The Circle is a show that Matt and I have talked about before. Have you seen that one? I've seen it. I haven't watched it though. You said shows that are timely or not timely? Yeah, that are timely. I haven't watched The Circle. Is that good? Matt loves it. I- <laughs> I will not say that it is good, but I enjoyed watching it very much, which is a slightly different thing. It's based on social media. Like, what if all our interactions were 100% through social media? And it's kind of some people are being truthful about who they are. We we see that as viewers who each person is, but they don't. The only way they interact with each other is through 
text and writing and they can put a po- a picture of themselves but you don't know if that's a yeah real yeah i've seen a preview of it and i actually i think that does tap into the it's kind of like that show catfish it does tap into mm-hmm. the bullshit you know <laughs> sure. like, yeah yeah everybody's yeah. hot on tinder right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah until you meet them and then so it's it's just it does tap into that because i think the problem with obviously with social media you've got all these apps where you can just take a crappy selfie hit a button and you look like you've like you're ready to go to the met gala so most amazing eyelashes you know what i mean let's dissect that a little bit though because i think courtney i think that what you're aiming for is something that aspires to dig deeper right like you said it's like okay you we want it to be like a culturally relevant wife swap right like something that really is pushing has its finger on the pulse of what social issues are really bubbling up in this country right now right and then if you look at a show again as a fan uh there's a lot of thematic big ideas that the circle say could jump dive into right the the way that representation works and interaction and privilege and all there's all sorts of really heady things that, that social media uh, you know affects our culture and they ignore almost all of them do you know what i mean it's it's a it's a very surface level show and 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 it endeavors to be that right but so i guess what i'm really getting at is like are there other shows that are taking a uh a a traditional reality format but then digging deeper or is that something that you want to innovate on a little bit i really honestly i don't really see much out there that does that and i think the reason why a lot of people don't do that is because advertisers don't want that Advertisers, you know, the second you start digging deep and you start creating issues like that, advertisers start pulling their ad dollars and that affects the network, you know, and it's it's um, A&E took a, a, a beating. It was public information, but A&E took a beating when they pulled uh, their live PD off the air. They lost 49 percent of their audience. And even when our show goes up and they're commenting on our show for a year, it was like, bring back live PD, bring back live PD. And. Every network, like they canceled cop, they canceled all police shows, right? Because the narrative in the country was no defund the police. So it was just so much controversy, and advertisers don't want to deal with that. So it's very difficult for a lot of these networks, who, by the way, are completely losing viewers to streaming anyway, and their business model. You know, I mean, everyone's got a streaming service right now, right? By the time you get all the streaming services, you're paying paying more than what you were for cable. So, yeah. these, by the way, the circle is a, it's a Netflix, show, it's a Netflix yeah. thing. So Netflix, they have a little bit more, they have a little bit more leeway because they're subscriber based. Right. They don't care about the ratings. They don't, they don't care about the ratings as much. Uh, well, they care about the ratings. They don't care. Obviously they don't have to worry about the ad revenue. Um, but I think a lot of these traditional networks are very, you know, they play coy with trying to dig really deep into that subject matter or into deep subject matter like that because they don't want to scare the advertisers away. You know, it's kind of hard to talk about those type of things when you have to have Johnson and Johnson selling a product or something like that. Sure. Well, so then let, let's talk a little bit about how you see show the shows that you're looking to produce next. How where do they fit into the media landscape? How, how do you see that working? Like a, you mean, like where would a culture shock yeah, exactly. I think we all hear the pitch for culture shock and we're like, yeah, that sounds incredible, right? Like that sounds like a very potent idea. It makes me think actually uh, a wife swap meets Borat subsequent film. <laughs> <laughs> Which, hey, right? listen. Because it is Sign like when up. he embedded himself as the, yeah. 
the freak with the you know kind of the proud boy type guys yeah yeah that's kinda. that's amazing <laughs> um you know i think it would probably be better suited on a streaming platform where there's no need or yeah yeah or or definitely digital maybe on so- social media i want to do the type of shows where we can get audience participation we can get i don't think the networks are using social media as well as it could be in regards to especially broadcast where there's interaction during broadcast, all all I see is people can go to, hey, it's going to air tonight at X time, and then everyone makes comments. But there's no interaction with the actual program. I would love to see television move in that direction where you can interact somehow with the with the series or the people from the series or the producers or something. There's some element. I would love to see that. But a show like Culture Shock, I think it would be more suited for a streaming platform than uh, a cable network. But it all depends on who's willing to take the risk. I think if these networks really took the risk and put these shows out there and not really worry so much about the advertising dollars, and of course, one someone's going to say, this guy's a freaking idiot for saying that. I think people would people would watch it and they would come to the show and, you know, they would see, oh, great. Well, here's a place to advertise. Advertisers, we always get, we always hear that it's hard to sell advertising for hoarders. I don't know if that show's getting ready. We just did. The 12th season, so it can't be that hard. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're making money on it. So, yeah, somebody's so, so making then, money. So let's talk about what those next steps look like then. Are are you, how do you go to, how do you prepare to take a show out, right? Are you cutting a sizzle? Are you putting together pitch materials? And if so, what? Talk to, walk us through what that development looks like. Right, from Antonio's idea to what you bring to these networks. And do you, and, and whether you work through agents or any of that. Stuff. Yes, we do. We work with a creative artist agency. Shout out to Rob Miller. He's dope. And they rep your company. They rep, yeah, they rep our TL. Yeah. They were the ones. They were attached to Hoarders when we picked it up. And so, you know, we just nestled, cozy, got cozy with each other after that. And uh, it's been a great relationship so far um, in, in regards to culture shock. So right now we're in the casting phase. Once we figure out that we have enough subjects to put together a, a sizzle reel, you know, obviously we do the due diligence. We go and do all the investigative deep dive. And then once we find the subjects, we will put together sizzle. We'll send our crews out to whatever locations we need to send them out to and, and, and get what we need, do the interviews and everything. Sometimes it's a Skype interview. If we want more impact, we will actually do a small, we'll call it a short, a short series or short episode where we'll kind of create some of those scenarios. And, and, and how long is a short episode? Uh, we're talking about five minutes. Just a, It's basically an extended sizzle. And then once we have the sizzle, we put together a deck, a pitch deck, which is for those who don't know, it's just a kind of like a PowerPoint presentation, which describes the series, describes the the team. And then it kind of shows what a season, a complete season would look like. And we usually like to, depending on, and this works well, better for scripted than non-scripted, but, you know, we would like to say, okay, here's season one is what we want to cover. Here's what we want to do season two, because networks don't want to pick something up that's just going to be a season or two seasons. They want something that they could sell to their advertisers for years and years. So we try to package it in a way that it shows that it's going to have longevity. However, we don't package it up to fit one particular network, because a lot of times they'll want to add their elements to the project to make it fit their network. You know, Lifetime is different than A&E, is different than Bravo. So whatever network we go to, we want to make it as ambiguous enough so where it still can be molded to fit their particular audience. And so, you know, then we take the pitch deck and everything. We send it over. 
And uh, if, we're, if we're lucky, we get callbacks and they say, hey, we'd like to develop this. Or sometimes they'll come back to us and say, okay, we didn't like this here, but can you guys do this? Or can you guys do that? So you send them the sizzle and this deck, yes. but you don't, you haven't walked them through it yet. Well, no, it's, it's kind of interesting though, because we're, the conversations we have are just so, when we were in, when, when I first got into the industry, I was so formal, right? It was like, oh, everything has to be this way and this way. Nowadays, it's, once you're there and they know you can produce, a lot of times they'll be like, just send us a log line. If we like it, we'll expand more. Right, right. But like, there's no need to like get too involved. No, or something that's yeah. Like, just like not on there. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, we don't do that. And at the yeah. same time, we don't, even though it's a great idea, we're not, we don't get married to the show being the way we want it to be. You know, we don't, we don't get married to what we want. We get married to what's going to sell and represent the project to the best of its ability. Right. You're not overly precious. No, no. I mean, we hear no 99% of the time. That's just the nature of the business. When you are pitching a show, both unscripted and, and scripted, do you feel like the person pitching the show, it matters how how much experience they personally have with the content that they're pitching? Like a person that's pitching hoarders, is it better that they know hoarders really well, that they live with hoarders? If you're pitching a culture shock thing, is it is someone that's an activist a better person than someone that's you know, is their personal back? story you mean you know like their point of view yeah yeah the- i would say it's if i'm gonna i'm gonna say if i'm trying to sell you a porsche i could tell you much more about that car if i drive one you know what i mean so i think yeah if you have personal experience or attachment to the project itself you can explain things in a way than someone who just says, okay, what am I selling? I'm going to read these notes and just, you know, I think having some type of uh, experience in that subject matter and, you know, you have more passion about it. You're more passionate about it. You convey the message clearly. And you can also, you know, when there's those, those side questions that come up about it, you're not sitting up there scrambling to figure out what those answers are because you've dealt with the experience. So, yeah, I think having some type of uh, experience with the, the subject matter is very crucial to a genuine pitch where you're genuinely pitching something instead of just trying to sell a show. Well, so I guess if let's say you are not in the industry, let's say you do not have hoarders on your INDB page and you don't have the track record that you have, but you want to, you have this great idea for an unscripted show about whatever dog dogs doing tricks for blind people, whatever. And you, you want to do some, try to sell it. What, what do you recommend people make? Do you think people should make their own sizzle if they can? Like how, how do you get the attention of people? Should you just do a write up? Should you try to find competitions like the big pitch? I would say definitely try to find competitions, but definitely try to open up, you know, call some production companies. I mean, who would have thought that on a whim that I got on LinkedIn and find a production company. You never know what happened. I would recommend not trying to do your own sizzle if you don't have the experience because you can make yourself look worse showing, you know what I mean, with the bad sizzle. Yeah, a, a great idea with a bad sizzle is... Uh, a great idea with a bad sizzle yeah. is just like, ah, you know, it'll just poo-poo it. And so I definitely would not recommend... I would, I would recommend finding some people who can help you. And if you can pitch them the idea and be very concise and to the point. And don't waste a lot of time. Just be like, here's my idea, here's the pitch. And be willing to have your idea torn apart and rebuilt back up because a lot of times people know i mean it's happened to me dozens of times if you have no experience or anything like that you know you really don't know 
exactly what the networks are looking for. It might be a great idea to you, but that's not what's selling. That's not what's in. That's not what the advertisers want right now. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. You know, it, it, it's interesting to think about formats and the way that you approach them, Courtney, because, you know, we talked to John Kroll, who is a, a reality producer as well, but he kind of is much more personality based. It's like Dog the Bounty Hunter or Gordon Ramsay or people like that. And so his advice had been like, you know, an idea is, is great, but you have to have, you know, some exclusivity with the talent who is driving things forward, right? But but Culture Shock's a great example of like, that's a great format idea, right? And so you don't have to, you know, you can line up casting and things like that, but the show is more episodic. It's not like there's a star of, of the show with whom you have to have a direct relationship with. Unless, right? unless we bring in a host. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, oh, but the right. host isn't the thing that sells. The concept is the, the concept thing that makes is the thing that sells, yeah. right? Nick Whereas, Cannon. Yeah, there you go. But like <laughs> with Dog the Bounty Hunter, if you don't have Dog the Bounty Hunter, if you're just like, hey, wouldn't it be cool to do a show about bounty hunters? You know, the production company would be like, yeah, we'll go. Yeah, except meet this other some. guy pitched a show with Dog the Bounty Hunter, so yeah, yeah, they exactly. get there something. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. but but, it, but, but Courtney there, it, did say that before they're going to networks, they're casting because right, right. I, I've seen right. these kind of unscripted pitch decks before, and the best ones say like, "Look, here are the here is an example like ten people we found that would be amazing to to do because because without that, the networks will be like, sure, in theory, there's a person that is a bounty hunter that's insane, but maybe all bounty hunters are kind of nerdy and not that interesting, you know? Like, why why would we buy this show without knowing the people, right? So you're spending money on casting before you're even going to pit to see yeah. if the show is sellable. Yeah, we want to make sure that when they do see it, they say they're like, "Oh, well, those people do exist. That is very interesting." And that opens up the door a lot better, a lot more than just saying, "Well, here's a, a concept that we have, but you know, we got to figure out where these people are." We want to do enough of the homework so when we take it to the network, they're not asking us questions and saying, "Well, how are you going to find these people?" Those simple questions that we can just answer right up front and we want to have all that stuff done so when we pitch it to them we're like listen here's the concept here's the casting we have a ton of these people lined up what do what do we need to do to make this to close this deal i i love the idea of just anticipating what those first questions will be right like of course you're like okay well do you know the people who would be willing to swap places you know and if the answer is like yeah we actually have some and here they are and here's why they're interesting then skepticism turns into engagement exactly and then they see we've done their home, we've done a lot of our due diligence and so they're like okay so you guys somewhat know your shit much better right so my second to last question is about what you said about sizzles before that a bad sizzle is worse <laughs> than uh you can make things worse for you than no sizzle at all any tips on what makes a good sizzle clarity the concept it can't just be all we're not trying to do a michael bay production here it's, it's got to be clarity and the concept, you know, you and a lot of times these people see so much. you got to get the concept, especially if you're dealing with a distributor like Snapchat, where you have to know the concept of the show within the first three seconds. So clarity, clarity, clarity more than anything else. I mean, you know, you can have a crappy camera and oh, I would also say good audio. 
good audio is better. <laughs> good audio is better. You know, if the video's kind of fucked up, that's not as bad as having audio that's fucked up. But audio, make sure the audio's solid and have clarity to what the point is. You don't have to have the best angles. You don't have to have drone shots. You don't have to have a big water truck to, you know, create Noah's fl- the flood or anything like that. You just have to have clarity good audio and make sure that when they do see it, they get the concept rather quickly. And it has to be, if you're selling emotional engagement, the sizzle should at least be clear about why it's emotionally engaging and yep. not like, eh, and that should, I don't really care about that. That should be definitely part of it. I mean, you can see like if we did a, if you can look at the trailers that we do for hoarders. There's people who are sitting up there crying in, in, a, in a 30 second trailer, a 15 second trailer. There's a lot of emotion in there. There's, there's a lot of heated arguments and it's all quick. And it's like, whoa, what just happened? You're watching, you're like, whoa, what just happened? Yeah. Damn. A 30 second trailer for Hoarders is actually probably like a master class in a good sense. Yeah, because you know? yeah, it's, you got to truncate all that down into to that small, small period of time. Well, so. and, and you know you're going to have the footage, right? Like, you know that there's going to be that drama in every single episode. And, you know, because you're a well-oiled machine at this point, and you were mentioning all of your story producers know all of the trigger points and all of the moments that you have to capture. And that can be a little tricky on a brand new show idea where maybe you don't have the time to shoot as much as you need to really get those those key moments, right? Like sometimes a photo will work better than yep, you're absolutely a piece of right. tape. Sometimes a photo will work, even a voiceover. You can add a, a really compelling mm-hmm. voiceover mm-hmm. to it. Like I said, we're not trying to create Transformers or anything like that. We just, it's just got to be... Brief to the point and uh, really carry that emotion quickly. And, and so they get it. Right. So on, on that note of not having to be Transformers, my final question is, again, based on things I'm reading on IMDb. So there's an 80% chance they're totally not true. But I see here that you're also an EP on like a movie called Long Gone Heroes that stars Maggie Q and uh, Ben Kingsley. And you're attached to some other scripted stuff. What's your path? What's next? Like, And ha- how do you see... Your experience in scripted and forming or unscripted and forming scripted and, and vice versa. Like, like what's the what's the connection between everything you're working on? Well, I think starting off in non-scripted gets my pr- production chops down. Right. You know, I have to figure out how to work and manage teams and manage the whole production workflow. And I've learned a lot over the past three years and just the complete production workflow from because a lot of times, you know, we're doing quick turnover. There's a lot going on with non-scripted. But I think there's some incredible stories that can be told about people. And, you know, I really want to slowly but surely kind of get a strong foothold on the scripted side. And um, I want to tell stories about some really compelling people. And I want to provide provide a form of escape for a lot of people to kind of go off into worlds that, you know, what can what can we as humans aspire to be? Something like that. You know, I really I'm really into things like that. So, you know, I'm slowly but surely dabbling in and on the EP side and working now that I've got the financing thing <laughs> figured out. I'm working on, on trying to work with some really solid up and coming directors and help them pull pull their projects together on the financing side. Just so I can add credibility to what I'm doing and then hopefully just keep working with bigger and better projects. And, and definitely do something that's that's really compelling. I see. I mean, it makes me it makes me curious. I see you made this movie called Arctic in 2019. Mm-hmm. It was a TLG production. So are you guys also financing kind of yeah. films and so we're, things like that? Yeah. So we're we're doing everything from the financing side to you know the production side. Uh, we own all of our gear. We 
know, I went and bought everything that we could possibly need. I see you have the Octobox behind you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're actually doing uh, photo shoots and everything. Um, but yeah, we're just, we're just really trying to expand and create a full service production company where we can go out and, and, and help facilitate all kinds of compelling projects. You know, I don't want to get pigeonholed into being that guy that does reality TV. I really want to do some feature films. I want to do some really cool feature films. There's a lot of directors out there that I would love to to work with. Jordan Peele is one of them. I'd love to work with some of these different directors. Uh, Blumhouse, I'd love to work with those guys. They do some incredible things. I think their business model is, from what I know, is is pretty solid business model. But, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of projects out there that I just want to I just want to go out there and create, have a really good time, work with really, really cool people and do some amazing things, you know? Yeah. Well, so this is my real last question. <laughs> okay. Given everything you've said, you're kind of past, you're, you know, you've worked on shows people have heard of, you've done smaller indie films or attached to kind of bigger movies, but you are based in Seattle. Do you feel like that is a plus or a minus or that it is especially in this post-pandemic working from home days, it's kind of irrelevant where you live? Honestly, I think it's irrelevant. Seattle or Los Angeles is two hours away. I jump on a plane. I can be in L.A. in two hours. Um, most of the meetings now are Zoom meetings. You know, the face to face meetings that we used to have with the networks. I haven't had one of those in so long that, it, you know, it just hasn't happened that way. Even our meetings with A&E and, and all the other distributors we work with, people are in their homes. So I think the the whole facade of you have to be in Los Angeles. So you have to be in New York. That's, that's yesteryear. That's, that's, that's not even necessary. You do have to be there sometimes, right? You know, there's nothing like a face to face meeting and, and a handshake. And well, I don't know if people are shaking hands these days, but there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing like a face to face meeting and, and building a relationship. Cause this business is all about relationships, right? So, you know, I do go down to LA occasionally, probably once a month. And my goal is to, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm in L.A. Let's go out and let's have dinner. Let's not even talk about work. Let's just go out and have dinner and do what's how the kids blah, 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 blah. Let's be talk about life and build those relationships. And then, you know, when I'm back here in Seattle and I have an idea for so and so at the Food Network or this person over here at Oxygen, I can be like, hey, remember when we were down there talking about this? Take a look. I'm going to send you something. Um, give me a call. Let me know what you think. And, and it's, it's that type of thing. So I don't think and I love Seattle. I just can't deal with New York is insane. Sure. Yeah. It's just insane. But yeah, I, th I think that's interesting. I think that your point is like the shift to remote working, I think, don't think is going away. And I think that really you still have to, have to engineer a system wherein you can build relationships, the happenstance of just being at the right place at the right time. But if that's something that you can sort of manufacture a little bit more, like if you're in town for certain windows you know, and you're already established, then I think that does make a pretty significant difference, you know. It seems to be working so far. <laughs> yeah. Well, congrats. I mean, it sounds like there, you obviously have a, an awesome show going right now and many, many things coming up. If people want to find out more about either the big pitch, how they can submit to you, um, or the stuff that you're doing, are you, uh, where should they go? I know you have a website, tlgmotionpictures.com. Are you guys on instagram or twitter yeah tlg motion picks tlg motion picks p-i-c-s on instagram um everything i'm doing you can just go to courtneylamarco.com and i i put everything i'm i'm doing up there um and definitely at yeah, tlg motion pictures.com and uh yeah we're looking to connect well courtney uh can you hang out and uh 
do some unpaid endorsements with us? Let's do it. Unpaid endorsements. This is a weird poll. My wife and I have been rewatching all of Breaking Bad. And so I guess I have, I really have two endorsements. One is actually for a show that everyone knows is wonderful. Um, and I think is probably the best show of all time. I think Breaking Bad on a craft level is nearly perfect and uh, has been a lot of fun to rewatch. And it's, it's fun to like observe how you think of characters, what stands out in your mind and all that. Um, but the other thing I'm endorsing actually is just like a concerted rewatch of something right now before you never watch television again for the next year and a half right like we're we're really at the very end of the pandemic and so i think that the likelihood that you're going to spend any significant amount of time you know watching your favorite show again i think is getting less and less likely right like i think that you know relatively soon everyone's just going to be out and about nonstop, and so i'm trying to get in a little bit more binge watching before i'm just um you know, a normal person again. So the Breaking Bad, but then also just kind of a, a smoke them while you got them sort of mentality on uh, on watching some television. You know what I'm really... Yeah, tell us, Courtney. What you got, buddy? Well, this show is still in production, so technically it's not something that's off the air. Mm, okay. But I'm going to go back and watch it. The first season is Snowfall. Oh, interesting. The best ad campaign... I feel like every time Snowfall has like billboards up, I'm like, dang, I got to watch that show. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's just, it's kind of like a modern day version. Well, it's actually set in the 80s, so it's not modern, but um, it's an updated version. It's a lot different than Power, you know, in regards to Power feels more soap opera-ish. If that makes any yeah. sense, yeah, yeah, that, it's soapy. Yeah, yeah it's like kind of the way okay. that like it's kind of empire. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, reminds know? me of yeah. yeah, it's kind of soapy. Where yeah. we it's, like a little melodrama every yeah, now. Yeah, it's, it's not, not soapy. Okay. Soapy's not a bad. It's not word. bad. I mean, like every CW show is yeah. soapy, even if it's about superheroes. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but but I think Snowfall is very gritty, and it and it's just I just love that energy of that show. It's amazing. Yeah, I'll check it out. It's on FX, huh? Yeah, you got to watch that. So that's my one endorsement is regardless of whether you have a kid or not, just like Courtney's like Courtney's theories on whether regardless of whether you have financing or not, just in, tell tell someone you do, you have a kid, say, "Hey, come over to my house. The kid is sleeping in the crib. You don't even have to go in there. You just Ferris Bueller, you know, whatever, some rolled up blankets in a crib." To just tell them to watch Hulu or Netflix or whatever, you know, have them log in to all their, with their passwords. Once they leave, you get a free subscription to whatever, as long as they don't change their password. I'd love for you to do the math on how long before you actually break even with what you paid her relative to what your savings and so what you're watching. What? 20, <laughs> 20 bucks an hour, you know, yeah. you're like, oh, we're just going to go for dinner an hour and a half to, so, you know, 30 bucks. But uh, I guess if we're all endorsing shows, And I know I mentioned this uh, show the other night when we were recording, Matt, but have you watched Hacks yet? Have either one of you guys watched Hacks on HBO? Uh, Shout out to um, Adam Bricker is the DP on the show. Oh, yeah. Um, Podcast listener. Podcast listener. And boy, it looks great. It does look great. But it is, you know, I can't tell if it's inside baseball or not because it it is about a comedian. Uh, Gene Smart plays this aged aging comedian that uh, is having trouble keeping her Vegas show going. And there's a new actress. I'm not familiar with who she is, but 
She's like this unemployable writer. She's Lorraine Newman's daughter. Oh, okay. So Lorraine Newman's daughter. She tweeted something super offensive about someone being a Republican politician being gay or something. And so she said something controversial. And so because of that, no one will hire her for any writer's room again. And so this last ditch effort is uh, her agent, you know, gives gets her this job writing jokes for this aging comedian, Gene Smart. And it's just about writing, you know, jokes. And I think there's, I don't know, you, so you saw it, Matt, right? You saw the scene in the car where Gene Smart and her are talking about constructing a joke. And again, I, d- I do apologize to those people that listen to our other episode about stand-up comedy because I did talk about this exact same scene. Um, there's just something so great about that show so that you should i think you should check it out the bummer is it's on hbo and it's only half an hour and so you have to wait till thursday to get the next half hour you know and i do kind of like it though you have something to look forward to now i know but those half an hour like i was watching wandavision was that half an hour i forget i think those Um, were longer yeah Yeah. i feel like those were longer. to only get like two 25 minutes of like comedy is for you have to wait another, another seven days week, like, yeah such a bummer you guys remember when game of thrones you know those last few seasons when everyone was watching or even breaking bad actually you know like it's just it was fun to like have something to talk about and for us like one if a show runs for long enough and becomes you know, like relevant enough, it can be really joyous. You know, there's something communal about that. I guess I don't watch sports or anything. And so I'm always jealous of like when people are excited together, when their team wins the Super Bowl or the championship or whatever, you know, like it, like that's the closest we get is like the finale of a show that we've all fallen in love with, you know, like that's the best sort of water cooler talk. So, I, you know, I'm okay with it. I think that there's enough content out there that like, you know, when Hacks was over, Orin, you still had multiple lifetimes worth of genuinely great entertainment that you could watch. Do you know what I mean? I'm saying even if you got rid of 99% of the of the the bad content out there, there's still that 1% is still more than any person could ever watch. Yeah, that's true because there's a lot of bad out there. There's a- yeah, there's a lot of bad, but there's also there's some good. There's a lot of amount of great. That's true. Know? Yeah, it's just being able to find it and pick through all the bad. Sure. Sometimes is the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's but true. yeah, you're That's right. True. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'll check out Snowfall. Please I do. Hate to admit it, but I have not seen The Wire. <laughs> oh, what? It's on. I'm HBO logging off now. right now. <laughs> I know. I know. I've like watched the pilot like a couple times and just didn't grab you. Well, you know, it's a pilot. It's like the pilot yeah, of every great show is bad, yeah, except for Breaking Bad yeah, that's, yeah. and Mad Men. Breaking Bad, was but like the first pilot. episode of Game of Thrones is like so boring. Oh, I disagree. I think that pilot's great. It's just all these family names, and you're like, why am I watching? I got to go back and watch that now. Yeah, yeah, it's worth rewatching because it's I mean, like, I guess there is incest in it. <laughs> yeah, and the kid <laughs> gets pushed fun. out the window. Like, there's some, and there's that's some the stuff. only scene. That's the final scene because they want to get you to come back to the next. I episode. think the problem is that like your the names are hard to decode. Like w- once you're like, oh, got it. The family with the dark hair versus the family with the blonde hair. Like once that clicks in, then I think it becomes a little bit easier to just keep track of who's doing what. And like, because also like the North isn't cold yet, right? Like it's summer. So there's, you don't have as many signals. Whereas I think the show gets better with like giving you kind of identifiers to know where you are and whose side is on who. Yeah. Anyway, 
We could talk about TV all day. <laughs> yeah, um, we could. Huh? But Courtney, you've got to go make some more, right? So. I got to go make some more. I definitely <laughs> do. Got bills to pay. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, look, it's been a treat. You know, keep us in the loop on things. Let us know how the show goes. If you want to keep track of all of the things that we talked about on the show, and we will be retweeting things for Courtney in the future. Um, you can follow us across all social media at Just Shoot a Pod or go to our website, justshootapod.com. And you can follow me at Mr. Madelow. I'm uh, at Smitey Pileg on Twitter. I'm at O Kaplan on Instagram. And we love to hear from you guys also, justshootapod at gmail.com. Please let us know what you think. If you uh, want us to check out your sizzle, tell you it's better that you don't show it to people. We're happy to watch it. At least I am. Matt probably won't watch I, it. I'll, I'll watch it, and then Orrin will write a very long email, and I'll feel bad, <laughs> and I'll chime in eventually. Yeah. But, I'll, I'll write, like, a seven-page response Orin on your is sizzle, going and on you will never, you'll never respond to me again, and I'll be like, why did I do that? Yeah, yeah. That, that uh, is what happens. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, this episode was edited by Sarah Weirda. Our social media manager is Derek Aiello. Our consulting producer is Ali Kornfeld, and the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. We will catch you next time. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Bye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.